Hey, Sunflowers. Okay, I have an announcement. The waitlist for my upcoming self-love course is closing this Friday, September 25th, 2020, and you don't want to miss out on being on the waitlist because you will get $150 off the course, bonuses, and you'll be the first to hear about the pre-sale, which will be opening up very soon. If you've been listening to these episodes or even doing a little Google search here and there or maybe even every day about codependency and you're finding yourself racking your brain trying to figure out how to work through codependency, how to heal from your past, let me help you. It's okay to get help. Let me be the first to tell you that. Don't be like me, okay? When I first learned about codependency and when I was first really being faced with all the wounds of my past, I told myself this story that I was in it alone and I had to figure it all out. And it wasn't until I hit some pretty low points that I said, no, I I need some help. So if you know that you need help with people pleasing, you know that you don't really understand who you are or where your identity lies or what your needs are or how to accept yourself or how to forgive yourself, I'm putting everything and I mean everything into this course. So if you're ready to choose you and choose your inner child, make sure you join the waitlist at BeatriceCamau.com slash waitlist or check out the link in the bio. Remember, waitlist doors are closing this Friday, September 25th. Okay, now let's get into the episode. Hi, I'm Beatrice. I'm an inner child healing coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to the Self Love Fix podcast. This podcast is all about helping you move from shame, people pleasing, codependency, and low self esteem and into alignment, expansion, and unapologetic self love through healing the inner child and spirituality. Welcome to the Self Love Fix, where you get your dose of self love tips. Happy Thursday, sunflowers. I hope you're doing amazing today. I hope you had an amazing week. This week, I'm coming at you with a clear quartz crystal. It's pretty much just a neutralizing crystal that kind of helps keep you grounded and centered. And I actually have one on my desk. Um, and I don't know, I put them in little corners all over the house because it's just so, there's something about a something about a clear quartz crystal. Okay, so diving right into this week's episode, I want to take you back to the days of codependency, and I want to give you kind of like a play-by-play of what a day in my life looked like when I was codependent, and I really want to do this, one, because I asked in the Instagram polls, and it seems like a lot of you really wanted me to do this, and two, because I know how helpful it can be when you are in the throes of codependency, and you're like... Am I the only one feeling like this? Am I normal? Which, by the way, you are so normal, okay? You're totally normal. You just have acquired some patterns of beliefs, of thinking, of survival mode, of all of those things um, from other people. But you are normal. So, But I know that it can be helpful just for your own validation um, and also know that you're always validated in your experiences no matter what. But I thought this would be helpful for you. Okay, so let's take it back to my college days. Let's take a look at what a typical day as a codependent person in college looked like. So 
I lived with roommates at the time. So I would wake up and I would start fixing myself a really quick cereal or really quick something. I never really took the time to eat breakfast or to enjoy myself in the morning time. My roommates, they always did. They would have like their own little morning routine and everything and um, really, I don't know, take their own time before going out into the world. And I always felt like, and you might be able to relate to this too, I always felt like I was in a rush. I always felt like something had to be done. I, I never felt like rest was something I was worthy of or taking a break or taking a pause or even literally sitting at the table and enjoying food. I never even ate sitting down. I would eat standing up because I felt like you should be doing, you should be doing, you should be on the go. Um, but yeah, so I would fix myself something really quick that I could eat in five seconds. And um, my roommates would start coming out of their rooms. And, you know, some of, I had like three. And um, two of them usually would always say good morning. And there was a one who, she just was more, she kept to herself more. But at the time, I looked at it as, oh my gosh, she, did, she didn't even say good morning. Like, she's so rude. Like, what's wrong with her? Um, or did I do something? Like, all these thoughts would start popping up in my head. So basically, that's what it was like every morning is if some somebody did something that was out of the routine or they did not acknowledge me or, um, you know, they weren't particularly joyful and jolly in the morning, I would feel insecure about myself. I would feel like either I did something or I would feel like, fine, something's wrong with you kind of thing. And again, looking back, I'm like, no, she just kept to herself. And she, some people just don't want to have morning time conversations. Everybody's different. But at the time, because I was living in survival mode, because I was so codependent, I looked at it like, okay, if somebody's not giving me any kind of, you know, interaction, something's wrong. Yeah, that's how it was like. So I would eat my cereal or whatever, uh, oatmeal, and just like dash out the door, hope that I would make the bus. <laughs> hope that I would make the bus. I went to school, um, well, for college at UC Davis, and it's a big bus in bike town. So it was actually really fun to take the bus. But, you know, again, rush, rush, rush. And so I would just pray that I would make it because I never felt like I had enough time. Again, it went back to my belief, one of my codependent beliefs, which was you are never going to have enough time for anything. You're always going to be stressed. Stress is your life. And I acquired that belief um, I really believe from my family because the thing with my family was the kind of ideals I grew up with is that there's never enough work to be done. There can always be something. I remember growing up, if I was sitting down and watching a show, you know, like kids do because kids like to watch TV. But, you know, whenever my mother would come around and I was watching TV, I would start like faking like I was doing something, you know, taking the, the chicken out of the freezer or wiping some counters or cleaning the blind, something. I was like, no, I can't just sit and enjoy myself because that is um, something she taught me was that there's never enough work to be done. You shouldn't be sitting and enjoying yourself. You should either be cleaning some blind, find something to do basically. Find something to do. There's always something to do in the house. Sweep up, clean the blinds, find a, a, a nook and cranny in the house. I don't even know if nook and cranny is the right word, but find a corner in the house where there's something to clean or something to do. Enjoyment is not your portion as a child. As a child, you should be doing something. And so what uh, she didn't realize was that she was creating for me a blueprint that would lead me to the rest of my life um, which was, I can never enjoy myself. I think what she was thinking was that I would use that rubric as a child 
and not carry it with me as an adult. Like I think that she thought that as a kid I could take what she was saying and understand that, oh, this is just for me as a kid, which first of all, the whole thing shouldn't have been that way anyway. <laughs> Let's start there. Like um, teaching your kids that they can't enjoy themselves because they're children is super dangerous, super dangerous because again, kids are just like sponges. They just absorb everything and take it into their lives. But I don't think she thought, again, she probably didn't have the capacity to understand really that what you show your kids is what they take with them um, through the rest of their life. And looking back, I have the awareness to be able to look at it and be like, you know what? She just didn't have the tools. Um, Early on in my healing journey, I didn't feel as forgiving. I'm going to be very honest. And if you don't feel as forgiving with your parent, with your ex, whoever, that's okay. You just need to meet yourself where you're at. Um, just know that I have been through a lot of healing. So I, I I am speaking from this place because this is where I'm at. But if you're not there, no shame. We don't do any um, spiritual bypassing over here. So, but yeah, um, went on a tangent. But basically, I grew up with that mentality and that translated to how I acted in college. I never took a break. And when I did take a break, it was after extreme burnout by force um, or it was begrudgingly. And I would just feel so bad about it. So yeah. Back to the bus, Um, I would get on the bus and then what would happen is I would sit on the bus and I would just be hyper aware of everyone around me. Like, are they looking at me? Do they think I'm weird because I'm, I don't know, just sitting here or is there something in my hair? I was constantly just thinking, especially if somebody was looking at me, like, why are they looking at me? Is something wrong? It was, I was constantly tuning into my outside environment. Um, You know, maybe even looking at other people being like, wow, they're so pretty or they, they look so good. Like, wow, I wish I could too, you know, very much comparing myself, not really just existing and being, but again, that survival mode of being hyper aware of my surroundings and relating my surroundings to myself. So that's what I would do. Then I would get to class and in class, uh, there would be many times where I would want to speak up, whether it was like in a man, what are they called? It's been so long. It hasn't even really been that long. But um, discussions? Yeah, I think they were called discussion classes. You know when you have like a main lecture class and then you have mini, if if you've been to college, you have mini classes with a TA? Yeah, I think it's discussions. Okay, so in discussion classes where it was smaller, I felt like a lot of times I really wanted to uh, raise my hand and speak up to contribute to conversations because I felt like I really had something great to say or I was really intrigued by the topic, but I was swallowed by fear over and over again, swallowed by the fear of what would they think? What if I say the wrong thing? What if the TA says like you didn't read up enough on that topic? Or I would just play over and over in my head all the possibilities without, this was totally unconscious by the way. This was totally unconscious. It's only now that I'm aware that, wow, I was really living in full-on survival mode, constantly making decisions based on what-ifs, what-ifs that didn't actually exist but that were coming from my past. I was afraid of being chastised. I was afraid of being um, called out for not knowing enough. And so I just sat there, and then I would feel upset because it's like, man, I, I really wanted to say that after somebody else said it and they didn't receive uh, negative feedback. And then I was like, wait, so it's okay? Wait, how do I know when it's okay to say something? All of these thoughts consuming me over and over again. Um, So that would continue on throughout my classes or lectures uh, throughout the day. And then I would go on over to work. 
And what would happen at work is I would constantly be tuned into how other people worked. Like I would compare them to me in a sense of me thinking to myself, why aren't they following the policy? You know what I mean? Like, why aren't they following the guidelines? Why are they just kind of doing whatever they want instead of doing what we were told to do? And I would kind of micromanage in my head. I wouldn't say anything, but I would be constantly paying attention to how other people worked. I guess because it made me feel unsafe or something like that. Like it made me feel out of whack or out of balance if other people weren't doing or following their role because it affected my role in my head, even though it really didn't. We were just all working together and everybody has different working styles. But at the time, I couldn't see that. At the time, I felt like everything had to be by the book because in my childhood, I what I learned was if you don't follow things by the book, you get in trouble. You get... Um, torn apart you know emotionally like you get scolded and chastised and in my mind I was thinking aren't these people afraid of like the manager you know chewing them out or anything like that and then I would realize the manager would never chew them out and didn't chew me out and I was so confused I was like what's happening here you know so it was just so much of me carrying unknowingly unknowingly carrying my past into my present because Of course I did. I didn't know any better. I didn't know any different. I didn't learn any different. So of course, of course, (laughs) that's how things went. Um, During work, this also looked like me volunteering myself to show them like all the little shortcuts or the tips and tricks I learned from working longer than some of the newer employees, even though I wasn't in a management position. But I was like, oh, they could probably use this knowledge. They could probably use this. So I asserted myself without them asking by showing them all the things because I figured, well, they should know all these things in order to be a really efficient worker. This is some of the shadows of codependency that jumps out. Shadows are nothing to be afraid of, by the way. It's just something that um, shows us ourselves and helps us understand ourselves deeper and offers a way to have compassion for ourselves and for others. But yeah, at the time, I really thought I was being helpful, but Actually, what I was doing was asserting my own views and my own experiences over somebody else without them asking me, which would be usually a boundary crossing for most people, you know? Now, if they asked me, that's a different story, but if I'm just coming out the woodworks telling them how they could be more efficient at working, come on. Even you, you're probably like, yeah, I hate when people do that shit at work. That's so, like, that's annoying, right? I also forgot to mention that throughout this entire time, I was constantly, or throughout this entire day, I would constantly be looking at my phone, checking to see if some guy I was talking to in college uh, texted me. And I would be freaking out the entire time, like, okay, why didn't he text me? And I would be overanalyzing, like, was it something I said? I'm sure it was something I said. I would reread all the texts. And then I'd be, I would try to convince myself like, oh, wait, no, I didn't say the wrong thing. I said the right thing. So then I would try to come up with things like, okay, well, what could he be doing? Why isn't he texting me back? It's a simple thing. All you have to do is text me back. All you have to do is get your phone out of your wallet. I mean, not your wallet, out of your pocket. You should just take your phone out of your pocket and text me back. What are you doing? And that's literally the dialogue I would have in my head and it would drive me crazy. And then it would just be playing like elevator music in the background while I was trying to do other tasks at work. And sometimes at work, Or in class, I would feel like I couldn't even concentrate on what I was doing or what I was learning because I was so caught up with the fact that like, how could you not text me? Like, what is something wrong with me? Or I knew it. It's just what I thought it was. It's that I'm not worth it. You know, I would tell myself these stories over and over again. I would 
hope to run into the person on campus so that I could at least get an explanation. That was really what it was, is I felt like everybody owed me an explanation for their actions. I felt like everybody should perform their actions just like I would you know because in my mind I was like well I would text somebody back even if they even if I wasn't really that interested in them I wouldn't just leave them high and dry that's mean you know what I mean and of course you know looking at it now I don't think it's the nicest thing to leave somebody high and dry but also I know that nobody owes anybody anything That's really the bottom line. Nobody owes anybody anything. And somebody not texting you back, the reaction that comes from that has a lot less to do with that person and a lot more to do with what is that bringing up for you? I wish I had known that at the time. At the time, I just thought like, oh, this person's just shitty. They're this, that, and the other. I, I thought it would make me feel better by saying all these bad things that they were like, oh, they're just like noncommittal. They're this, that, and the third. But really what it was is, this me having a reaction or me getting triggered like that lets me know that actually the situation says more about me than it does the other person because people are just mirrors they're constantly reflecting the parts of you that either need more love and compassion and healing or the parts of you that the parts of you that you have reconciled with the parts of you that you have accepted the part of you that is fully lovable fully worthy that you have embodied and you know this because what happens is you start attracting people who respect your boundaries you start attracting people who reflect back to you the things that you would like to see not because at one point you didn't deserve it and at one point you do no never that you've always deserved people that respect your boundaries, people that show you compassion, people that are loving, all the things. It's just more a thing of what you believe about what you deserve and coming into that knowing um, that can start to get reflected. And that's all part of the healing journey. Look, please don't think you need to fix yourself, please. I can't say it enough. You don't need to fix yourself. You're, You're just amazing just the way you are. I just wanna show you that there's a better life than survival mode and feeling um, like you have to people please and like you have to be a slave to other people in order to feel emotionally okay. So basically how that day would have ended is if I never got the text back or if I didn't end up running into them on campus, I would just feel completely shitty about myself. I would just feel like low. I wouldn't really have kind of the energy to do anything. I just wouldn't feel good. I would maybe journal it out a little bit and get my feelings out. But really at my core, I just felt like I wasn't worthy. And I felt like I couldn't understand why it was that other people in college would get in relationships and they would be, you know, treated so well by their boyfriends or whatever and why I was getting crumbs. And I was like, it must be me. There's no other explanation other than it must be what I always thought it was, which was I just am not worth it enough. I just, there's something wrong with me. I'm annoying. I'm too clingy. I'm all these things. That's what I ended up, uh, that's what I would end up telling myself on nights like those. And I'm just here to tell you there's such a better way. That's not the life. You know what I mean? That's not the life you came here to live, right? You didn't come into this or come on this earth to live a life like that. You know there's more. You know there's more. That's why you're listening to this podcast. There's more than having your emotions shift and change based on how other people see you or respond to you or don't respond to you. There's more to life than that. You're an expansive 
spiritual being living a human life who deserves to live a good human life. So if you haven't already, once again, join the waitlist for my upcoming self-love course. Again, you'll get $150 off the course if you're on the waitlist, BeatriceKamal.com forward slash waitlist. Do not miss this opportunity because the waitlist doors will be closing September 25th on a Friday. And by joining the waitlist, you'll be able to get so much more information and you'll be the first to know about the pre-sale of the course. Listen, if you're ready to move past codependency and into self-love and into validating yourself and into alignment with your higher self and into self-acceptance join the waitlist and i will catch you same time same place next week